It's Christmas Eve, all who believe Santa is here, but once a year, all girls and boys dream of new toys. Soundly they sleep, wishes to keep. Jing, jing, a ling, come hear us sing. Breaths on the door, stockings and more. Magic this drive, spells come alive. Snow in the air, laughter to share. This is the Literary Licensed Podcast Classic Novel Episode. Dealing with classics you must read before you die, and finding new life in between the dusty covers. Exploring page to screen and everything in between with your co-hosts, Jesse Fultz, Vicky Ray, Leandro Getzi, and Keith Chowgo, who ensure to bring the fun to an old standard. Hello, welcome to Literature License Podcast, and today it's Merry Christmas Month, and how we're celebrating and starting off is with our classic novels, A Christmas Carol from 1843 by Charles Dickens, and the classic 1951 film, Scrooge, known in the UK, or A Christmas Carol, as it was renamed in America. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. First of all, we have John Collado, who is our artist, and he actually designed our t-shirt illustration. And he does a fantastic job. Thank Hello, you. John. How are you? Thank you. Good. Very good. And we also have Mary O'Leary, who's the producer of the new Jonathan Brid bio that will be coming your way, hopefully in 2021, and also producer of Soap Operas. Hello, Mary. How are you? Hello, Keith. I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me. And of course, we have Vicki Ray. Hello, Vicki. Hi, everybody. So glad to see John and Mary here with us. And Jesse Foltz. Hello, Jesse. Hey, hope everyone's doing well. And myself, Keith Shago. So before we get started, let's do our getting to know each other or what we've been up to since last time we spoke. So, John, what have you been up to? Well, other than finishing your uh, illustration for your T-shirt, your merchandise, uh, <laughs> just uh, what I've you know, been doing for the last uh, 
couple of decades, uh, children's books and uh, uh, book covers, mainly for uh, action adventure and science fiction. Um, I've done, uh, uh, just completed uh, uh, my sixth children's book. Uh, that should be in available first part of next year. And um, I've done, you know, roughly 10 covers for a uh, uh, the action adventure series uh, done by Trace Hunter. You could probably find him on Amazon. And um, just various odds and ends. But I, I try to stick to children's books and, uh, and book covers. That's pretty much what I'm focused on right now. And hello, Mary. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? I think was last time we spoke to you was when we did an interview, which was about a year and a half ago. Yeah, yes. <laughs> a year and a half ago would be right. And shortly after that, I was asked to produce this documentary on actor Jonathan Frid, best known for playing Barnabas Collins the Vampire on Dark Shadows. And it's been a delight, but it's been uh, every single day. My focus is completely working on it. I uh, originally was traveling to do interviews in Canada, New York, Memphis. Um, I uh, then started sitting at the computer and working with an editor where we have been uh, <laughs> daily. Mm-hmm. And um, as you mentioned at the beginning, should be ready in 2021 for distribution through MPI. Home video. Excellent. And yourself, Vix, what have you been up to? Uh, just trying to, you've been keeping me busy with the podcasting stuff lately, all the, the reading and the watching and the researching and all that good stuff. And I've just been trying to make the most of family intermittently and trying to get through all the crazy that comes with COVID at Christmas. But other than that, things are pretty good. That's all kosher. <laughs> and what about yourself, Jesse? What have you been up to? Uh, well, I've been working on my website, uh, more of my art stuff, and my writing as well. Um, yeah, it's been keeping me busy. Uh, the website should be up shortly. Uh, I just have a few things left to pull together, and uh, then it should be set. Cool. Mm, excellent. Yeah. And my. <clears throat> Self, I've been communicating with the cast and crew of Anne and the Apocalypse, which we'll do a special um, um, episode for our listeners, for, along with all the cast and so crew and directors and producers of Anne and the Apocalypse. I uh, interviewed the, um, the writers of the songs, the libretto and the music, and they are actually were just finished doing Animaniacs for Steven Spielberg. So they're doing that now off because of Anne and the Apocalypse and they got some stage musicals. That'll be quite, that was quite interesting talking to them and getting stuff ready for the whole Christmas run this month and also getting some competition stuff ready for our listeners, which will be available in our January newsletter. So besides that, I'm still watching the crown on Netflix. I'm working. I finished the fourth season. I binge watched that. I could not stop watching that i mean mm. the whole thing in three days that's how well, much I good stop watching it was fantastic yeah. i kind of watched like an hour before i have to go to bed and then it's like okay that's enough of yeah that's like the royal watching i know you guys get it over there in london so much but i find it fascinating so, same I, I go to bed with, talking to with a british accent yeah <laughs> our I people are getting that- boring over here in our country so i rather watch you know what's going you, on. You guys get a lot more royal news than we got. You guys are a lot more into the royals than we are in this country. So I think we have a morbid curiosity and fascination. So well, here we just think of them as like a bunch of dogs. You go out in the yard and you know, yell out Queenie, Duke, and Earl, and what comes running. So. <laughs> so anyway, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna cut to, cut to Story Geek. 
Surrey Geek Podcast, which will be telling you what you can watch, what you can download, and what you can stream for the Christmas season with a special Christmas episode. Take it away, Surrey Geek. For the COVID virus, here we go. <laughs> what movies and TV shows should you be watching throughout the month of December? The last month of 2020. Fortunately, I'm Jay Shear, co-writer and director of Death of a Bounty Hunter, the novel and full cast audiobook, which is available now. Check it out at deathofabountyhunter.com. Next week, I will tell you all about all of the new content that's available on all of the streaming services. But today, Thanksgiving is over, and I hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving, by the way. Now, some of you start celebrating Christmas all the way back in June these days. But for the rest of us, we've just started. Thanksgiving is over, and now it's Christmas time. And what does Christmas time bring about? It brings about Netflix Christmas movies. Netflix has purchased or produced a bunch of Christmas movie content, so I'm here to help you figure out how to watch the least cringeworthy Netflix Christmas movies. Now, I'm going to break this down. I have three categories for you. I have decent Netflix Christmas movies. I have watchable Netflix Christmas movies. And then I have really unwatchable, completely cringeworthy, do not go watch them (laughs) Christmas movies. Watch them at your own risk. Let's put it that way. When I do this grading scale, just know that when I say something is an A-level movie, it probably doesn't mean it's an A-level movie compared to other feature films. It just means that it's an A-level movie compared to Netflix Christmas movies. Let's jump into it in my decent category, meaning you should probably watch if you're interested in a Christmas movie. The first movie on here is actually so good. This is my one exception to the rule. It's so good that it can go up against big budget Christmas movies and even feature films. This movie could actually receive an Oscar, honestly. And this film is the animated movie Klaus. Fantastic movie, great animation, great story. It gets an A plus from me. Let It Snow also fits into the decent category. It's more of a teen romantic comedy, but it's well done. It's not very cheesy, and it does have some really good laughs. It gets an A- from me. Jingle Jangle is a new offering. It's very Disney-esque, very fanciful, live-action, musical, lots of big production numbers. I give it a solid B. Some of you will not agree with me on this, but in my mind, The Princess Switch is sort of a perfect Netflix Christmas movie. It's sort of a perfect example of the genre. It's super cheesy. It has some decent comedy, and it's completely unbelievable (laughs) on every level. Uh, But I'm still giving it a B. I think it's actually a decent Netflix Christmas movie. And finally, rounding out that decent category, the movie starring the most handsome Santa Claus of all time, Kurt Russell, The Christmas Chronicles, the first one. It gets a B-. It is a good story. It is a heartwarming story, and it fits very well into the Netflix Christmas catalog. That is it for the decent category. Let's move on to the watchable category. They're not awful, but I can't call them great either. And I'll go through these a little faster. They may get you to laugh once or twice, and they definitely fit the Netflix Christmas movie mold. Operation Christmas Drop gets a C+. It's kind of fun. Also very cheesy. The Christmas Calendar gets a C. The Night Before Christmas. That's night with a K. See what they did there? That is very cheesy, but it's also watchable. I give it a C. The Princess Switch, again, this is the sequel to The Princess Switch. It gets a C, but it's nowhere near as good as the original. Christmas Wedding Planner gets a C, but the ending is straight up an F. The ending gets an F. The movie probably should get an F, 
But up until that ending, it actually gets a C from me because I actually thought it was pretty funny at parts. But that ending almost completely ruins it. So just know that that's coming. Holiday, in a very adult romantic comedy, actually, for a Netflix Christmas movie, gets a C-. There are a couple funny moments. It's not great overall. The Christmas Chronicles 2, Kurt Russell is back at being Handsome Santa. Uh, but this is one of the most bizarre stories in this whole list of stories. It's just very all over the place. Um, so maybe watch it because it's fun. But it's also really weird. Your kids will probably enjoy it, I think. It does get a C- minus from me. And finally, on this watchable list comes a Cinderella Story Christmas Wish, which is a very complex name. It does get a C-, minus, and what I appreciate about this movie is that all of the actors involved know exactly what they're getting themselves into, and they just fully embody these cheesy characters and it makes it kind of fun so a cinderella christmas wish did get me to laugh several times if you get me to laugh at all you're going to get into the watchable category at least well take a deep breath because we have finally reached the unwatchable category these are movies that i do not recommend you watch unless you want to submit yourself to a (laughs) certain amount of pain This is your unwatchable Netflix Christmas movies. And by the way, you're probably thinking he already mentioned a bunch of unwatchable Netflix Christmas movies. So if you've seen some of those and thought they were terrible, then do not watch these. Starting off with a movie that's got a lot of big names in it, and I was surprised that it was so unwatchable, Bad Moms Christmas. I never saw Bad Moms, did see this, and now will not be seeing Bad Moms. That's how bad this movie is it gets a d from me holiday in the wild no thanks that gets a d minus and then two movies that i just think are really truly awful the first is midnight at the magnolia uh it has some it tries to go for some christmas spirit but your three-year-old could predict what's going to happen here and the way that it unravels is not entertaining in any way shape or form it gets an f from me And that may be controversial to some of you. Some of you may have thought this was a decent movie, but I could not stand this film. And finally, a movie that was literally pieced together in editing in the strangest way possible. I don't know what the original story was. It's really convoluted here. The same plot point happens about three or four times, and that is Christmas Crush. And that also gets an F from me. So there you go. Stick to the decent and watchable, and you'll probably groan, but at least you'll enjoy yourself. If you go unwatchable, do that at your own risk. Good luck to you. I hope you enjoy some of these Christmas movies. Also, don't forget, our novel and full cast audiobook, Death of a Bounty Hunter, is out now. A supernatural steampunk western. Go buy it for yourself or get it for somebody for Christmas. It's a great Christmas gift for anybody who loves weird westerns or steampunk or westerns in general. Visit deathofabountyhunter.com and check it out. This has been Jay Shear, and I hope you have fun watching Netflix Christmas movies at home. Hello, welcome back to Literary License Podcast, and now we're discussing A Christmas Carol, the novel, which was written in 1843 by Charles Dickens. It's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, an elderly miser who is visited by the ghost of his former business partner, Jacob Marley, and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. After their visit, Scrooge is transformed into a kinder, gentler man. Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol during a period when the British were exploring and reevaluating past Christmas traditions, including carols and newer customs such as Christmas trees. He was influenced by the experiences 
experiences of his own youth and by the Christmas stories of other authors, including Washington Irving, Douglas Gerald. Another thing to remember about A Christmas Carol is the reason why the ghosts are in it because during Victorian times, during ghost stories, would be read on Christmas Eve, where you would share, which would also give birth to some of the most fantastic Christmas stories or fantastic the ghost stories from um, British literature, which would include Henry James' Turn of the Screw, which was meant to be read at Christmas time. So what we're going to do is we're going to cut to a synopsis of A Christmas Carol. We'll be right back. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens a mean-spirited, miserly old man named Ebenezer Scrooge sits in his counting house on a frigid Christmas Eve. His clerk, Bob Cratchit, shivers in the anteroom because Scrooge refuses to spend money on heating coals for a fire. Scrooge's nephew, Fred, pays his uncle a visit and invites him to his annual Christmas party. Two portly gentlemen also drop by and ask Scrooge for a contribution to their charity. Scrooge reacts to the holiday visitors with bitterness and venom spitting out an angry bah humbug in response to his nephew's Merry Christmas. Later that evening, after returning to his dark, cold apartment, Scrooge receives a chilling visitation from the ghost of his dead partner, Jacob Marley. Marley, looking haggard and pallid, relates his unfortunate story. As punishment for his greedy and self-serving life, his spirit has been condemned to wander the earth, weighed down with heavy chains. Marley hopes to save Scrooge from sharing the same fate. Marley informs Scrooge that three spirits will visit him during each of the next three nights. After the wrath disappears, Scrooge collapses into a deep sleep. He wakes moments before the arrival of the ghost of Christmas past, a strange, childlike phantom with a brightly glowing head. The spirit escorts Scrooge on a journey into the past to previous Christmases, from his earlier years. Invisible to those he watches, Scrooge revisits his childhood school days, his apprenticeship with a jolly merchant named Fezziwig, and his engagement to Belle, a woman who leaves Scrooge because his lust for money eclipses his ability to love. Scrooge, deeply moved, shed tears of regret before the phantom returns him to his bed. The ghost of Christmas present, a majestic giant clad in green fur robe, takes Scrooge through London to unveil Christmas as it will happen this year. Scrooge watches the large, bustling Cratchit family prepare a miniature feast in its meager home. He discovers Bob Cratchit's crippled son, Tiny Tim, a courageous boy whose kindness and humility warm Scrooge's heart. The specter then zips Scrooge to his nephews to witness the Christmas party. Scrooge finds the jovial gathering delightful and pleads with the spirit to stay until the very end of the festivities. As the day passes, the spirit ages, becoming noticeably older. Towards the end of the day, he shows Scrooge two starved children, ignorance and want, living under his coat. He vanishes instantly as Scrooge notices a dark hooded figure coming towards him. The ghost of Christmas yet to come leads Scrooge to a sequence of mysterious scenes relating to an unnamed man's recent death. Scrooge sees businessmen discussing the dead man's riches, some vagabonds trading his personal effects for cash, and a poor couple expressing relief at the death of their forthgiving creditor. Scrooge, anxious to learn the lesson of his latest visitor, begs to know the name of the dead man. After pleading with the ghost, Scrooge finds himself in a churchyard, the spirit pointing to a grave. Scrooge looks at the headstone and is shocked to read his own name. He desperately ignores the spirit to alter his fate, promised to renounce his insensitivities and vicarious ways, and to honor Christmas with all his heart, 
Whoosh! He suddenly finds himself safely tucked into his bed. Overwhelmed with joy by the chance to redeem himself and grateful that he has been returned to Christmas Day, Scrooge rushes out onto the street hoping to share his newfound Christmas spirit. He sends a giant Christmas turkey to the Cratchit house and attends Fred's party to the stifled surprise of the other guests. As the years go by, he holds true to his promise and honors Christmas with all his heart. He treats Tiny Tim as if he were his only child, provides lavish gifts for the poor, and treats his fellow human beings with kindness, generosity, and warmth. Hello, welcome back. So, Mary, what are your thoughts of A Christmas Carol from 1843 by Charles Dickens? (laughs) I think it's a story that has just spanned generations. Uh, The character of Scrooge, the man who is miserly focused on greed. We can think of people today who are very much like him. And to see the transformation gives us hope for the future. But another interesting thing in this COVID time that we have is that Scrooge is very isolated, not going to his nephews, not seeing his, his uh, the people in his life. And I think we realize today how much we miss that connection of not seeing friends because we need to uh, isolate. And so I think the story has an interesting, to me today, uh, connection to this whole idea of connecting with people and uh, which Scrooge is not doing. So that was another layer recently going back to again to the book and the movie that occurred to me. Um, And uh, I've just, I loved the story when I first read it. I was working in theater as a stage manager and three years in a row did a Christmas Carol with a marvelous actor, Richard Nealon at Trinity Rep in Providence, Rhode Island, wonderful regional theater. Uh, So I have a lot of fond memories connected to a Christmas Carol. And what about yourself, John? What are your initial thoughts of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens? Well, for me, it's, it's a holiday thing. You know, it's, it's like watching Wonderful Life. Uh, I look forward to it. And there are so many versions of the movie uh, that, you know, it, it just depends on what, what version you like the best. I mean, Alistair Sims is my favorite in, in the movies. The book I read a long time ago. But just recently, to kind of catch up on this, uh, I listened to a couple of uh, the audio podcasts um uh, the audio books i mean um and from three different uh you know authors or i'm sorry um readers and um uh, uh each one kind of presents itself in a different way even though it's it's right from the book it's it's how it's read and uh i kind of enjoy all the different versions of that um i i totally agree with the covid uh issue and the isolation and everything. I mean, you can see that in, in the, in the character and, uh, and there's definitely hope for the future, you know, by the time you get to the end, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a holiday thing for me. It's just something I really enjoy. I mean, what I found with a Christmas Carol, which is quite interesting because I read it many years ago and I'm picking it up and rereading it. I found that it was very interesting that the way that Dickens was able to construct his story. <clears throat> so basically you get, you know, miserly scrooge and then do is i thought it was quite interesting from a psychological point of view is that how does scrooge become the the present day scrooge and then we get to see snippets of how we became that and how we become this hardened person um due to you know working you know workhouse you know um life experiences yeah strange parents you know broken relationship the death of his beloved sister who he loved so dear to his heart and, the fear and of poverty, yeah. Fear of poverty, which was very big in the Victorian times. Right? Yes. 
you know, I guess if, you know, I'm, I imagine, you know, to reiterate for some of our listeners out there who um, don't know much about Victorian history, but basically if you were a one, pa- you know, one parent family, your children were sent to a workhouse. That was quite common day. Beggars were quite common. If basically if you weren't middle class or above, basically you were poor, poor. And this was quite a common instance. And I, and I imagine growing up in that kind of environment would create Ebenezer to the way he is. But then, of course, we get, um, but then we also get the good of man as well that we do see, you know, the simple fact when you get present day Ebenezer and he's taken through present day and how even the people that he's turned his back on and frozen himself away from, they're still wishing him good cheer, even, you know, and they still want the best for him. And of course, when he sees what ends up with all of us, I mean, it reminds me of what my grandmother used to raise us as. My grandmother used to say that, Man has one thing and two things in common. They're all born and they all die. Is what they do in between that's different. And he's faced with his own mortality. And of course, you get the, you get the whole change. And I have to say that it's, it's probably one of Dickens' most rewarding short stories of all time. I mean, I've read some of his other short stories, but I have to say it's probably most redeeming because it's done so concisely, so precise, but it does lack a lot of the characterizations that you do get with Dickens, I find, because Dickens is very good with his characterizations, whether it's Great Expectations or Tale of Two Cities, they're all like characterized people, but he keeps everything quite concise, which is quite interesting. Well, he was writing, it was, well, I found it interesting how he wrote it in staves, staves, however you want to pronounce yeah, it. It was yeah. all allegory, each chapter. And when you, when, and he's a relatable character because we all have bad things that happen to us in life and life experience it. It can either harden you or make you a better person. And, you know, I think as human beings, it, it's relatable because we go back and forth. And what is more emotional than Christmas time for a lot of people? You know, it's it, we call it the silly season. Some people, you know, they just, you know, stay in their bubble or some people get bitter and they don't want to see other people, you know. And, and when it comes to he was actually a decent human being in the beginning, you know, as we see the ghost of Christmas past takes him to wherever, you know, and, and, and things it, when his, his sister dies and, you know, his father didn't really love him because he was, you know, blaming his wife's death on him, basically. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there was bitterness in the beginning and he loved his sister so much that, you know, he saw that he was going to be okay. And he was quite content working for, you know, Mr. Fezziwig, was it not that he started out with? And well, uh, Fezziwig's annual ball. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't all about money for him in the beginning. And then he just became more hardened after his sister's death. And like I said, it's all relatable because we all lose people. And we all have bad things that happen to us. I guess it's just how you handle these life experiences. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how he took apart each chapter in, in you know, with the allegories and and how they wrote him was so relatable. And it, it this, I, I believe that this story translates into every generation, no matter how old it gets, because it's a human experience we can all relate to. Mm-hmm. I also think it's probably one of Dickens' most personal stories. I mean, if you know a little bit about Dickens, I mean, he was born into a, a middle-class family. Um, his father went into debt and was thrown in Suffolk prison. Um, mm-hmm. And then and to help the, to keep the family afloat. And this is a guy who loves his books, had to sell his books to help support the family, which must have been, you know, you're 12 years old and you're like, it'd be like selling your 
action figures to help feed your family or exactly. you know, or your, well probably nowadays your computer games your xbox so i so i found that quite interesting that dickens i'm um, actually i think um you know when you i've read a lot of dickens because i quite like dickens but i, I guess too. you know but when you know a lot about his personal history it seems like he put a lot more of his own personal life in this story than in some of his other ones i mean He's more relatable with, you know, this is almost like Dickens, like, this is what I may have become if I thought right. differently or led my life differently. Possibly self-serving and sensitive to humanity, mm. you know, because <laughs> well, aren't we supposed to take care of our brother and sister? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things, uh, Keith, as you mentioned, there's a lot of biographical pieces in here because he had a sibling who was like a tiny Tim, died of illness uh, as a very young age. And also... I think there may have been his own guilt about money. You know, he needed money. I mean, at this point, when he wrote the story, he had four children and a wife to support. And I think there was a part of him as I, I, I got to get money. I got to get money. And I believe he wrote this book, A Christmas Carol, pretty quickly compared to his no- other novels. Um, so I think maybe there was even an examination of himself as he wrote Scrooge and how Scrooge was, uh, as Vicky mentioned, he seems like a fine young man, but something begins to turn when he starts to work for Fezziwig and really takes over that company, takes it away from his boss. It's a manipulation and all about money and greed. And so there may have been some part of Dickens that was really thinking, am I headed down that path? Well, and here's redemption. You don't have to continue that way. So kind of like a parable, don't you think? Yes. Yes. I mean, what I also found quite interesting and you know, we'll get down to the movie, but especially in the book, um, that even though normally what we normally have is someone's when they are based in greed or they decide that money is the most important thing, they do tend to spend lavishly on themselves. Where Ebenezer doesn't even spend lavishly on themselves. Oh. I mean, he's in a drafty, rundown, you know, one-room flat, basically. It's, you know, sort of With torn bed curtains, right? right. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you're thinking to yourself, like, God, you know, what are you, what are you spending? What are you going to do with your money? I mean, you know, exactly. I mean, we do find out that basically it's like when he dies, it's, you know, it's, it's saves to the company, but who's going to run the company? You know, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of a weird thing. It's not like you can take it with you as the old saying goes. I mean, what are you going to do with that much wealth? We talk about all these people, like, you know, some of the major companies who are doing rather well during COVID times. What are they going to do with all of those billions of dollars? When is it too much, you know? And when does it take your humanity away? I guess it's just, I guess it's almost like, but Ebenezer is like a cat, isn't it? Like, um, if you know anything about cats, if you have a small kitten and let's sit there and say that there's not enough teats to go around for the litter and you have the one starving cat, then what tends to happen is that what that cat tends to do is when you start feeding it, when it gets down to regular food, it starts gobbling its food. It won't, yes. you know, it eats it in one go because it's afraid it's never going to have enough food or there's never going to be enough food there. And Ebenezer kind of is like that, really, where he uses money as a security blanket wrapped around them and there's never going to be enough because something bad is going to happen and I got to make sure I'm going to have my security. Probably why he doesn't spend it, yeah. Yeah. There are people like that today. Yeah, there are. And you just think, well, when you die, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it does all hinge on that one tragic figure, you know, character in the book, which is Tiny Tim. You know, I think that's what melts his butter, you know, the most part, as we all know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and the people, like when, when the ghosts take him to the house of Bob Cratchit in the present, 
they're all happy. They don't have Jack, but they are still content. They are still happy with what little they do have to celebrate their day. Exactly. And, you know, I think there's still life lessons in this story for all of us. Well, they, they have each other, isn't it? Yeah. You can be the richest person in the world, but if you don't have friends or people around you, you're pretty much the poorest. Yeah. Yeah. The, the crazy part to and me let's be is... Honest, once, once you die, you're only kept... Well, sorry? Oh, sorry. Uh, the, cra- the crazy part to me is that sometimes poor people are more generous with their time and money than someone who has more money than a poor person, uh, whether they're well-to-do or wealthy. Um, sometimes those people harbor and keep their belongings to themselves and don't offer as much I'm, that's the generalization of course but um i do find that interesting and i do think that's also reflected here um you know because if you have so much money why wouldn't you use it to help people who are in need especially your family and, and friends and stuff you know that would be the first thing i would do if i had all that money um it would be helping right. my family and friends and as Vicky was saying earlier, Christmas is definitely like the hardest time, especially if you're poor, because there's always like this pressure. Um, yeah, emotionally for sure, especially for like for my family. You know, I I've lost a lot of family um, over the years, and so it's always been difficult for, um, especially my mother. Um, we didn't always have Christmases like as kids, or have any like if we did celebrate it, we wouldn't have much. We would always have to, you know, do like the what, what do you call it? Um, you know, like that thing that, that churches do where they, you know, go to houses and give gifts for the families and stuff like that. Like that was something that oh, we grew up. And stuff like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Um, and that was stuff that, you know, we did for our holidays sometimes. Um, but like, I think the first few holidays, like after you lose a family member, it's very difficult, especially when you want to have like big family gatherings and have your mom's family over your dad's family over and, um, but yeah, these thing. people, yeah, these people, uh, they managed to enjoy it despite not having money. Um, and even though like, you know, tiny Tim is not in good health and they just, they, they know how to appreciate their family. And, and that's something that, you know, people I think forget, um, that Thank Christmas you. is not necessarily just about what I can get from it, but it's about what we can give. And um, I think that's something that Scrooge also had to remember at the, by the very end of the story was that he, you know, giving is, is what makes you, I think it, it kind of sets you free. It, it's, it's the joy rather than to give or to make money or to be rich. You know, there's, there's no point if you can't share your riches with other people, you know? So. Well, I, th- I think the important thing about Christmas is that Christmas, I, before it's become the commercialized sensation that it is today. Yeah. I mean, Christmas, <laughs> is, Christmas is basically being about giving thanks and being with your loved ones. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what, real, that's what Christmas is supposed Originally. to be. Originally. And that's yeah. tough this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are feeling that pang of loneliness and separation and whatnot this year, you know, that's a lot of us, I know I can speak for myself. I can't see my family in Northern New York this year, you yeah. know, and the loss we're in we're... Montana, you know, I mean, there's just things, to, you know, when, when you're little, you don't really realize what you're missing when it comes to all the electronics and all the good stuff. When you're little, you just like to see the lights and you know, Santa's coming and 
but when I was a kid, we didn't really have all that, but it was always great what we did have. And I think we get all greedier when we get older and the coveting starts. Like, I want that car, I want that house, or, you know, and it's kind of a cyclical thing that goes on all year. But I think, like, at least for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I would hope it's just the one day that would remain good for everybody, no matter who you are across the board. And I think, you know, that it's all about the, the book he's trying to, you know, get about is the goodwill towards men all year round, because that's how it ends. And it, it could be really final for Ebenezer Scrooge because it does scare him in the end when he, you know, the last, the Christmas future takes him to his um, headstone, which I think would be a very sobering thing for a lot of people. You know, if you had a ghost like, okay, here, you're dead. No one cares. We're going to sell all your stuff and get what we can off your dead body. <laughs> what a picture that must be if you're a horrible person. No one's going to care about you <laughs> or how yeah. you lived. You know, well, I get, and also, I think what you need to remember is that through death, you are kept alive through the people who remember you. Yeah, a life so well if you, lived. If you don't make a, if you don't make a constant um, effort to touch other people in your life, then when you die, you're going to die. But if you, if you keep, you know, if you do show show compassion amongst your fellow man, you know, have love in your life, friends in your life, stuff like that, that when, after you die, you will live on. You'll live on through your friends and through your family and exactly. what they think of you sort of thing, you know. Well, I know what, what Jesse was saying. I'm reminded of a story. My son actually, uh, a couple of years ago, went to Africa and he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Awesome. I was with a school group. When they came down, they spent a couple of days in the village. The idea was they were doing some community service and, and helping them start a foundation uh, on a building that was going to be a school. The part he always talked about when he talks about that trip was those people who had so little were so welcoming and said, come into our homes, have dinner with us. And he said it suddenly struck him that here he was very materialistic and things that he asked for for Christmas. And he was a group of his children, adults who had, very, very little, but they were willing to share what little they had and just tremendous <laughs> love and warmth. So as Jesse was saying, it's like sort of the lesson, the takeaway is it isn't about how much money you have. It is, it's the heart. How big is your heart? Exactly. I find what's quite different in the UK about Christmas is Christmas is not about presents, not about how many presents you get here. And um, toy ads Anything that talks about buy these gifts for these people for Christmas and all that, they're outlawed here. You're not allowed to show those. I wish so the that Christmas, they would do that here. So the Christmas ads that we <laughs> Christmas ads that we get are like food stores about having food and having you know Christmas together and enjoy enjoying meals together and eating to your too fast. As a grandparent, I would love the outlawing of all of those ads because it really <laughs> does detract from what's going on. It really does. Yeah. That's that's a brilliant idea. I, I totally <laughs> I've been mm -hmm. on with that. So now they just get now children just get the advertisements through YouTube videos. Um, <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> There's always a way around everything. That's true. I mean during um the Christmas present, um I found what's quite interesting here is um when the ghost of Christmas present says shows two emancipated children named Ignorance and Want, he tells Scrooge to beware the former above all, for they will doom anyone who attempts to ignore them. And then mock Scrooge for what he said earlier about sending the whore to... But wasn't Want, the, the, wasn't, was it Ignorance or Want is the one he'd be aware of the most? 
the former is ignorance. Yes. Okay. So it'd be ignorance to, but then I guess, I mean, that's also a great parable to be because living in the world that we're living in and they're having so much information thrown at you at one given time that sometimes you can still be a bit ignorant if you don't do enough research on what you're looking for. Right. Sort of yes. Don't always go by the first thing that you read, read three or four different things before. Especially you know. on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of was, I was my mother called me today and she was wondering what Asher, you know, he's a great grandson. And it kind of struck me as funny because we were doing this podcast day. She goes, well, she goes, I saw this on Amazon. She goes, would he like a drone? I can't imagine my mother getting me a drone when I was eight years old, <laughs> you know? So things well, have really gotten squirrely when you think about it. It's like, but Vicki, when you were eight years old, they only had wooden toys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. I'll let you get the one slam in every time. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, now the only thing that always kind of bothered me about a Christmas Carol, and that's the the character Tiny Tim, and it's like, what is he suffering from? We never know what disease. Well, he he's has, probably got. Well, he's he's like got some kind of polio, possibly. No, or, it had to be something that money could fix. Yeah. Or okay. was it a lack of nutrition? Because you exactly. Rick, I thought like maybe rickets. Rickets. Yeah. Yeah. Probably mm. was able to get the food with the money, and 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 of course his health got better. So and enough milk and dairy. Either that, or I had some science back then. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know about. <laughs> Scrooge bought him a cow. <laughs> How old so. did they say Scrooge is at that point in his life? Did you ever come across the age? He's probably the sixties. Because um, I think it looked like he goes on to live a long time because he does help the family. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah, I guess he sees a couple Christmases through with him. And we really? know that Tiny Tim goes through a couple Christmases and gets better. And he becomes a second father to Tiny Tim, which was yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, I thought that was good. I, it, it was nice to see um, some redemptive qualities come out of Scrooge a uh, long term, not just, you know, a really quick thing and then have him jump back to the person he was. Um, yeah. I thought uh, the transformation was, was really intense and. Uh, it's sort I of really like all this point. peace and goodwill towards man during Christmas. Then bam, yeah. 26 back to business. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think, uh, I think the most important lesson though, to take from a Christmas Carol is that, um, that, Scrooge, with his change of character, his change of character is not buying people's love or buying people's um, happiness. It was basically giving kindness, um, generosity, and compassion to other people and sharing yourself with other people. It wasn't, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he might have bought a big turkey for the Cratchit family, to, um, but he did that as like a kind of a joke. So they won't expect this from me, sort of thing. Right. But after that, it was, you know, with the epilogue that you do get with a Christmas carol. I mean, that that was the most important th- lesson to take That's away. That's true. That's true. Love of oneself. Yeah. Because you can't give unless you care about yourself to begin with and have self-love and self-worth. I think part of it was also trying to like for, forgive himself in a way. I know that was like kind of untouched, but I did feel like aspects of him needed to forgive himself for things that maybe subconsciously he might have blamed himself for that he could not have prevented, um, which is maybe at the same time why he felt so... Uh, why he felt like he needed to work so much to earn so much money and stuff, because, you know, that is a total lifestyle, especially during that period. Um, 
you know, even today you do have it a slight, you know, you have it much better off than people who are poor um, during this period or periods before that. So um, I, I felt like that was an aspect. Um, and you have to kind of admire uh, Dickens just because um, I feel like this, if, you know, as much of this was reflective on himself, he must have had um, a great level of self-awareness and, you know, probably took all of what he wrote to himself in his own, you know, personal journey and his own philosophy and things like that. And you have to admire people who are that aware of themselves and the people around them to, you know, learn from their own human experience, their own writing. You know, I've often learned that when I write, you know, to myself or, you know, whether, whether it's journal writing, whether it's poetry or whether I'm creating characters or something, I always learn uh, that I feel like these are subconscious elements that are coming to the forefront of my mind and I'm writing them out and I have to pay attention to them and to kind of learn from what I'm writing. Um, especially when it's like poetry and I'm trying to like do some kind of really quick, not, 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 not quick, but I'm trying not to premeditate what I'm going to say. I try to just write it out. Uh, I remember when I was reading afterwards, I was thinking about that. It kind of reminded me of how I, how I do that. Cause whenever I do that, I always feel like I have to work on whatever it is that I've written now. It's like, I feel like it's my subconscious telling me to, Oh, I have to work on this. So I do think it's cool that, um, you know, Dickens wrote this because if, you know, if this is reflective on himself, he must've learned a great deal just like Scrooge did. So that's kind of remarkable to me. I also found what's quite interesting. I think this is the first classic novel that hasn't been done serialized first before we covered it. Because of Count of Monte Cristo and all the other books that we covered so far in the class novel, they always were serialized before they went into book form, where I think this is a Christmas Carol just went out in book form, didn't it? Well, I think it went out I thought it was serialized, wasn't it? No, no, I think you're, this was his publisher said, get going. And he realized he needed some money for Christmas. And I through. <laughs> I mean, he pushed through and and wrote it in a very quick way. So you're right; it wasn't serialized. Uh, he had to get that prize turkey. So, <laughs> the prize goose. The prize goose. Things were so much different back then. I can't. I mean, Victoria. I mean, everybody thinks let's have a Victorian era Christmas. You know, it's like. That was so full of poverty and sickness and death back then. It, well, I mean, it depends. If you were lucky enough to be middle class or above, it was a fantastic time to be alive. <laughs> if you're unfortunate, if you didn't have enough money, it was right. a wretched time to be alive. So I guess it depends on how lucky, uh, what what part of the gene pool you were born out of sort of thing, I suppose. I mean, I got um, another thing that I find with A Christmas Carol that's quite interesting, and I, and I like that Dickens did this, is that um, the past... And this is something that we, you know, that I tell my patients in psychiatry sort of thing is that, you know, you have your past and what you do is, but, you, you know, you, you learn from the past, you live in the present and you look towards the future. And that's a hard thing for people to get to learn sort of thing, because they bring their past. And I like that once um, Scrooge did wake up to his thing, he learned from his past and he lived in his present, making the present, therefore make a better future for himself. And I like the way that, um, that was a good way to do it. It's a very Jungian way, which is, you know, I don't know if, um, you know, Dickens was, you know, Victorian times, you know, psychiatry was starting to come on the rise and right. that sort of stuff, along with, you know, metaphysical stuff. And but Victorian also, English games. question, was this a dream or did this actually happen? You know, I think well, in the book, it actually happened. 
Well, the funny thing about it is that in the book, it says it happens over three nights. Mm-hmm. The movie, the movies that the, the multiple right. versions of the movies that you have, whether it's the Muppet Christmas Carol and whether it's this one, <laughs> so um, they all tend to look like it all happens in the same night. Yeah. But in the book, it happens over three nights. But that's is, typical of movies, so. Well, the fu- the funny thing about it, this is where I don't know if this is a misprint or not, because if it's Christmas Eve when he when Jacob Marley's ghost right. appears, and then basically he wakes up and it's Christmas morning, how did right. that happen over three days or three nights? Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is it a dream or did it really happen? What does he try or to they, believe? Or they do what we used to do European times and spend Christmas. There was the 12 days of Christmas. So Christmas that's started true. on the 25th and it worked up until this, about the 7th, about the 5th or 6th of um, January. And they still celebrate that. Spain is like that. Christmas Day is nothing in Spain. They celebrate it with the three kings. And I guess... That epiphany, yeah. Epiphany, mm-hmm. I believe. And I have to be honest, until I started spending Christmases in Spain, I always thought that the three nights, the three kings um, from Jesus, I always thought they arrived. I thought everyone just arrived on the same day. So I learned something about that that day. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like that. When it, whether you watch movies and stuff, it's really kind of hard to differentiate the time, the time, you know, what the time span is, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So whether it's the nativity or whether it's the Christmas carol, it's hard to tell if it's if it was done on three days or was it done in the same night or so on and so forth. And I know that modern incarnations of this, they do address this because whether it's um, the Alan Menken musical they did in Radio City Musical of a Christmas carol, which is fantastic, by the way, which is very closely related to this. And I, if you're an Alan Menken fan who did Beauty and the Beast, Little Shop of Horror, so on and so forth. I um, check it out. They did a TV um, musical version with Kelsey Grammer and um, a bunch of Broadway actors doing it, and they they address that issue. They they say the ghost will see you, uh, you know, one hour, you know, will see you at twelve, one, two, and three. Right. So that's what they do now. So I see they readdress that now in more modern versions, and I think also the some of Scrooge and things like that. They now readdress that, but. I found that kind of odd when reading it. It's like three days. You're like, well, it's Christmas Eve. And he wakes up on Christmas Day. Uh, sort of thing. I often wondered how they packed that all into one night. Because I was trying to, you know, like, we're not, the, you know, the, like with the movie. You know, it's like, I didn't miss it. And so he didn't miss it in the book. And I was like, man, they put all that in one night. I was always, when I was little reading this, growing up with it, I was like, how did they do all that in one night? But because it's supposed to be paranormal, basically, or it's a dream sequence. Or Dickens borrowed from H.G. Wells and said that time is relative. (laughs) (laughs) Or Dickens wasn't aware of movies back then. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So what we'll do is let's give our final thoughts of the novel. So, Vicki, what's your final thoughts of A Christmas Carol, the novel? Oh, I think it's it's a timeless classic, but it's just a good story just to even read to your children, even in even like even a shorter version, you know, because you can't read all that to an eight year old. Obviously, you get the children's version. I think it's a great life lesson. And I think it always translates to every generation. And yourself, Jess, what are your final thoughts of the book? I mean, obviously, I think it's always going to be better than any film because it captures you know, uh, it captures the heart, the original intention of, you know, the author, which is Dickens. So I think um, you always have to look at the the book as the better thing because it has the original intent. So 
um, if you want to learn the lesson, I would just read the book. Uh, cause that's where, that's where the real heart I think is. It's basic. Be kind to everybody. Yeah. Keith, be kind to me. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. You want me to do a whole personality change right now? No. Not going to happen. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. You learn nothing. Of course I learned nothing. <laughs> the, only time I ever ta- the only time I learned from Christmas carols when I watched um, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. <laughs> I love that one. I love that one. I like it too. <laughs> That's a good one. So, John, what are your final thoughts of the novel, or Christmas Carol, or the short story? Well, I'm not a fast reader, so I, you know, I prefer the movie, uh, uh, the various versions, but the book, it... Uh, it's like it is timeless, and it's it's something that uh, uh, you can get a lot from, uh, and something you can live by. Um, but if you need it quicker, the hour and a half or two hour version's better in the in the movie. And what about yourself, Mary? What are your final thoughts of the story? I think it's great to go back to the original story, despite there are many many versions, as you've said. Um, Charles Dickens in, the, in his life was, he would travel and read. And this is one of the stories he would read. I would love to have heard him read the Christmas Carol. Um, it's as we said, uh, others have said, it's this um, amazing message that translates, translates through time, uh, through uh, all types of cultural people. I mean, the message is there. It's like love each other, kindness, giving back. Um, and I think he had left an incredible legacy through this book. And myself, I think it's one of those books that I think that should be kind of mandatory reading on a yearly basis. I really, I think it's something that is a, it's a, one of those, it's an enjoyable novel. It go it has the supernatural. It has the horror aspects of it, which are excellent. It has, it has a little bit of everything in it thrown in together. And it's very rare that you get a mixed match of different genres thrown into one cohesive story that works very, very well. And then you get a nice little story that's nice heartwarming and there are tears and it has all the emotions that you, that needs to bring out the better person within yourself and you and I like I like a story that you ha- that causes you to re-examine your own life and I find that Christmas Carol does that to a certain extent so mm-hmm.
From the co-writers of the Amazon top-selling serial story, Time Slingers, comes a new full-cast audiobook, Death of a Bounty Hunter, a supernatural steampunk western. Fourteen different characters voiced by 11 professional voice performers. A Korean bounty hunter named Flint finds himself in the middle of an occult plot to steal a powerful relic from an innocent woman. Get me the Iron Spur, and I will show you true power. Caught between the desperate sheriff who's becoming unhinged at the worst possible time. He mutters the word like a curse dipped in sarcasm. I draw my gun and shoot him between the eyes. And the phantom woman haunting his nightmares. The living always think the dead are worse off. Flint will have to make a choice. Confront the sheriff's posse of misfits or run. But he's losing time. An ogre of a man with a gatling gun for an arm. The brash and headstrong Pinkerton agent, Geraldine Abernathy. And a young, speedster idiot ludicrously named Fancy Dude. They'll all converge at the home of a widow who's lost everything but possesses the relic they all desire, the Iron Spur. Damn that trinket to hell. I don't care what it is or what it does or why the Duskfinders want it. I care about my children. Death of a Bounty Hunter. The weird western you've been waiting for. Available on www.deathofabountyhunter.com. Well, this cuts us to Scrooge or A Christmas Carol from 1951, which was a British Christmas fantasy drama film and an adaption of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Surprise, surprise. It stars Alistair Sim as Ebenezer Scrooge and was produced and directed by Brian Desmond Hirsch and a screenplay by Noel Langley. The film also features Kathleen Harrison as Mrs. Dilber, Scrooge's charwoman, George Cole stars as the younger version of Scrooge, Haramone Badley as Mrs. Cratchit, Merlin. Johns as Bob Cratchit, Clifford Mollison as Samuel Wilkins as Detter, Jack Wagner as Mr. Joplin, a role created for the film, Ernest Thester as Marley's Undertaker, and Patrick McNee as young Jacob Marley, and Michael Horton then plays Marley's ghost as well as the adult Marley. Peter Bowles serves as narrator by reading portions of Dickens' words at the beginning and end of the film. He also appears on screen as one of the businessmen discussing Scrooge's funeral. What we're going to do is cut to the trailer and be right back. servant, sir. Are you off home to keep Christmas? I am not in the habit of keeping Christmas, sir. Then why are you leaving so early? Because, sir, Christmas is in the habit of keeping men from doing business. Come, it's a nature of thing that ants toil and grasshoppers sing and play, Mr. Scrooge. An ant is what it is and a grasshopper is what it is and Christmas, sir, is a humbug. This Christmas, enjoy Dickens' enduring classic in a very special presentation with Alastair Sim. Humbug! I am the spirit of Christmas present. The timeless favorite comes to life again, in color. Bless us, everyone. Step this way, Mr. Cletty, please. It's only once a year, sir. It won't be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. (laughs) I'm sure you were. Well, we won't beat about the bush, my friend. I'm not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. Which leaves me no alternative but to raise your salary. (laughs) Uncle Scrooge! And it was always said that he knew how to keep Christmas well. 
if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. I'm Patrick McNee. Make a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens a holiday tradition in your home. Hello, welcome back to the Literature License Podcast, and we're discussing Scrooge from 1951, or it's known in the United States as A Christmas Carol from 1951, a British classic. So, John, what are your thoughts of the film? Scrooge or A Christmas Carol? Of all, the ones that, of all the ones that I've seen, I think the Alistair Sim version is my favorite. The characters seem to fit, uh, and, and he's portrayed more as a meanie, like he's supposed to be in the beginning, you know, in the book, uh, you know, versus uh, um, uh, Reginald Owen, uh, you know, where he's kind of happy through most of his, his version of the movie, and uh, uh, Alistair Sim really takes it. George C. Scott, in his version, you know, in comparison, we're about the same. You know, they're, they're mean and rotten, and uh, they treat everybody like garbage. Like <laughs> yep, they, they everything for a buck. And uh, and Alistair Sim is, just happens to be my favorite. And and Tiny Tim, for example, in the, in that version, uh, Tiny Tim, I think was portrayed as the most <clears throat> um, physically problematic individual uh, uh you know that the, the thing is focused on and uh, i think they cast it well what about yourself mary what are your thoughts of the film uh i agree it's very well cast and directed and does get to the core of scrooge and i too love the george c scott version see i think it's very important in the portrayal that he is as john says a meanie he is somebody that is nasty. You wouldn't want to know him or have to work for him or owe him any money. If an actor plays it with any lightness or goes for any humor early on, then the transformation isn't as powerful. Exactly. This, this real stingy, greedy man and then make this amazing transformation is, is core to the story. Um, so Alistair Sim does it. George C. Scott did it. Um, yeah, I've always found it fascinating is how a filmmaker interprets the ghost of Christmas past because the ghost of Christmas present generally always looks the same and the ghost of Christmas future. But it's very interesting because it is described by Dickens as not really female, not really male, as it was androgynous. It's, it's, it's much more vague. So it's the one time filmmakers can say, I'm going to create something. And it's interesting because sometimes it's a man, sometimes it's a woman, sometimes it's a, almost a fairy spirit. Um, so I've always kind of been fascinated when I've seen different versions is to see, well, how did they choose to do that? Um, and, uh, but overall, I mean, the, yeah, the film really truly captures what the story, the page, even though there were certain things that they changed in the film, it, it really, I think, captured the true essence of A Christmas Carol, the story. I have to then say that Alistair Sims, I, I find him quite a fascinating actor. Um, in England, um, 
Alistair Sims is, you know, acting royalty in this country, whether it's an Inspector Calls, which he's fantastic in. If everyone gets a chance to see an Inspector Calls, I suggest seeing that. And then we have the wacky Alistair Sims from the St. Trinian films, which if I don't know if anyone knows in the United States or anywhere outside, but St. Trinian films <laughs> are, is a film about a school of wayward girls who are quite provocative and it's kind of i guess um the closest you could do is have an english version of a trouble with angels with Haley mills and ross and russell i guess <laughs> like that. but everyone's Haley mills and the other girl i can't remember the other girl who plays in that but they're all like that and they're all quite mad and alice um, sims plays the headmistress so he does it in drag and and then, and, and um it's quite commonplace that that's what St. Trinian's is that the headmistress is always a man in drag. And they, whether, it come, whether they do stage productions of it or anything like that, it's always that kind of character. But what I like about Alistair Sims is I found that in the beginning, he's very still. His character is just very still. Not, not a lot of emotions. His face is very um, stoic okay. and stuff like this. And I quite like that. But then what I also like is that when he gets to the ghost of Christmas past and then he starts seeing his past and then you see everything start chipping away slowly with his performance, mm -hmm. which in a lot of productions of Christmas Carol, you don't really get. You don't really get that chipping away of Ebenezer Scrooge's character in a lot of productions of it. And then, of course, when you see the full, you know, but of course, when the realization Christmas Day comes, then you have the full animated Alistair Sims character coming out. And he's all animated. And I thought that's what's quite good is we get that transformation, as you were stating, that sometimes you don't get in a lot of Christmas Carol productions. And there are a lot of Christmas Carol productions out there. <laughs> I mean, I remember going through Amazon going, okay, where's the one that we're doing? Okay. <laughs> it's like, we're going through like hundreds of them sort of thing. What about yourself, Vix? Well, my brothers and I always said it really wasn't Christmas until we watched Alistair Sim and A Christmas Carol because it's just something we've done every year and we're not together this year, but did you watch it yet? And I go, oh, we're doing a podcast on it. So yeah, you know, I watched it again. And, you know, and I think that Brian uh, Desmond Hurst, uh, with his direction and production, captured the essence of what Charles Dick Dickens was trying to get across with uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. And and he and I think that Alistair Sim and other movies, he's just one of those diverse people. No matter how awful he was, you still love him, you know, and you know that there's going to be redemption at the end of the movie. But I, I just it's just not the same with the other versions. I mean, I watched the 54 version and, you know, the only thing that comes close, which is more comedic is, you know, Bill Murray Scrooge, because I think that the ghosts of Christmas past, present and the future just kill me because it's just funny. It's just good, clean fun. But it does still get this something across, you know, because Bill Murray's on national TV saying, you know, it's not too late for you. You know, I'm happy. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Life is good. You know, I mean. I'm going to kiss this girl, you know, the beautiful girl on the stage. And he's just, you know, he find, he gets reunited with his lost love because he was a stingy person. And, you know, and basically what happens when you're that kind of a person, nobody wants to be around you, you know, yeah. and, and it's nice to know that there's always time to change. And I think that he brings this out and that's why this is one of my favorite Christmas movies, you know, besides it's a wonderful life, you know, yeah. I just think it, it just gets it across and it's really the ultimate Christmas movie for me. I, just, I, it, I can watch it three or four times, you know, it's just one of those movies that just hits you. At least it does for me, you know, and, 
it helps me, you know, know that there's also, you know, redemption for Keith at some point in life. <laughs> uh, I redeem myself 24 hours. 24 hours of one year, and that's enough. So it's just a great movie. I think it's a go-to movie for Christmas. And I mean, the production is fantastic. And, you know, I watch a lot of horror movies. We cover a lot of scary stuff. But this movie actually will scare the bejesus out of you. When Jacob Marley does that screaming... You know, shaking his chains. Do you believe in me or not? You know, that is the most, that is the scariest. I got goose pimples just thinking of it. That is the scariest ghost scream ever. And I've watched them all. And there's just something about that one, you know, that that one transaction between him and Marley's ghost. And and it's just, you know, I believe in you. I do, I do, I do, I do. You know, I would probably <laughs> be on my knees saying, yes, I believe in you. Just don't scream like that again. But it's, it's, just a great movie. It's, it's just an excellent movie. What about yourself, Jess? What are your initial thoughts? Well, I, I was um, I was impressed with how well it stuck to the book because, you know, if yeah. you remember our call to the wild podcast, well, <laughs> they were very generous with the direction they chose to go there. And I was kind of... Yes, I was waiting for that and I was waiting for it. And while they did, of course, you know, take advantage of their artistic license with the film, um, I do think that it still stayed in the spirit of the original story and it added to it, um, which you don't often find in any um, adaptation of most films uh, or books, most um, adaptations to most books these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I have to yeah. Say, I have to say it was quite interesting because I saw I when I was before we did the podcast, I actually went to see what early productions of A Christmas Carol was, and so I did watch some earlier earlier film versions of it. Okay. And it, and it seems like and and they were they were what they are sort of thing. They didn't have like the heart and warmth that this film has. And I, I'd say this film, there's a lot of films that Scott, if it was in color, they would look like a British postcard. Some of the, some of the way the scenes are filmed in this. Right. The way they've done it. Yeah. But then I noticed that once this film came out, sort of thing. Um, and then I noticed that other productions of the film afterwards started making the same little, made the same changes that this film makes with, you know, adding the char woman in it to making her more of a character and some of the changes. And then the productions after that started using like, this is their template. This film is their template about their film versions of it, which I found quite mm-hmm. interesting. It's almost like, well, they did it this way. This works really well. So this is how we're going to adopt ours from now on. We're going to do this sort of thing. So I found that quite interesting. And I mean, my favorite, I mean, this, this is my favorite Christmas Carol. My other favorite Christmas Carol is, I think, is the Kelsey Grammer, but that's because I have an Alan Menken fetish. So that's my, you know, that's a thing. I'm <laughs> 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 Do you think it was kind of co- comedy wise, the, 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 the uh, housekeeper, you know, and he's like jumping up and down and he's so happy it's Christmas morning and he hasn't missed Doing it. And she's <laughs> like going, oh my God, what's wrong with you? And she's screaming and trying to get away from him and runs down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> she's lost his mind kind of thing, you know. Are you okay, Mr. Scrooge, you know? Well, and, uh, <laughs> with a cockney accent. <laughs> yeah, I know, I love that. I, I like to, uh, was it Tiny Tim? All right. Listening to the, listening to the, the pudding simmer in the copper pot, you know. 
<laughs> I just love all of that movie. There's just nothing about this movie I hate because it, they did such a good job with it. It is true to the story. You yeah, can almost well, go to the book and go to this movie, and it's pretty much the same. Well, Kathleen Harrison, who you talk about as a charwoman, um, her career in Britain was basically playing the common <laughs> Eastender. And that, and that, and so I love you, her. The way I you see her is that kind of character and everything she did. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I also have to say that watching this film, and this is a who's who of the best of British film film right. actors at the time is that they almost like they they shoved all their greatest actors and we're going to do a great we're going to do a great fantastic british production yeah <laughs> chuck chuck and then they them all in this film though i have to there say patrick mcnee i mean it's like you know this is way before the avengers wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know you just you expected you know i guess um you know mrs peel to show up at any point you know in a small small cameo <laughs> sort of thing. Well, you can't forget his nephew and the wife either because they were supposed to be like poor. I don't know, but that dancing parlor that they had, that looked really, you know, the curtains, they didn't look that poor. But, I mean, it was really kind of, it was, you know, she kind of reminds me of Merle Oberon, <clears throat> kind of whoever the, um, I can't recall her name right now. Yeah, like, you know uh, what? You know why they weren't that poor? Because they had no children. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's all going to go down the crapper eventually. Now. <laughs> they, only, they only have the, they only have the two two cells to feed. What I quite quite like though. But it was nice seeing the look on her face when he came in and it's like, "Can you please forgive? You know, a, a stubborn old man. You know, is too blind to see." And just the apology and just that was really heartwarming. I always think, you know, like how how he goes to his nephews, like, "Here I am. Mm -hmm. I'm late, but I'm here." You know, please forgive me. You know, and I, I just think he learned his lesson so well. And like I said, even the movie or the book, there's a lesson to be learned. It's never too late. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest, though, I guess, I, I know, Scrooge never did anything horrible to those around him. He didn't treat them with any respect, but he never no, actually he was mean. done anything. Damn it. Yeah. Well, he was mean to mean to fall but basically it's just he just didn't make human contact did he sort of thing but he wasn't mean to Cynthia like he was you know a kind of person who would get even with people he wasn't that kind he wasn't you know malicious he was just right. off yeah well, I don't so know he was buying and selling people's companies and just well that, that's yeah but that's business well you know when you talk about human but relations that's cruel though making somebody impoverished and it seemed like they him and Marley when they were together you know, really enjoyed sticking it to people, you know, and it was sport almost. Well, he, he, he was kind of heartless yeah. again towards people who were in poverty and, you know, he would just the, basically referred to, oh, well, are there prisons still working? You know, is everything no, are still... There no, are there no prisons? Are yeah, there no yeah. Yeah, yeah but yeah, I mean, was... but let's be honest, let's put this <laughs> in today's standards. Isn't that what most of us do when we see a homeless person just walk on by and try not make eye contact? Not always. Not always. That's yeah, the that's, that's the key word. That's that's, that's key phrasing. Not always, yeah. but we but you know they, uh, more so. I would say today because you think they might have COVID. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. You know, people yeah. yeah. are scared of other people. I mean, if you look at Ebenezer Scrooge, I mean, basically, I mean, he is the template for Wall Street, isn't he? Yeah. Or, exactly. you know, all the, the Wall Street types. It's all about buying, selling companies. It's about buying yeah, companies and tearing them so apart. And in comparison's sake, uh, how rich was Ebenezer uh, in comparison to the richest person today? Uh, Elon Musk is, 
I guess the second richest person on the planet now. Jeff Bezos. What would uh, what would he be in equivalent to to today's? Uh, yeah. Donald person? Trump. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's in a lot of debt now too. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's hard to say because he didn't spend his money on himself, so he couldn't tell. <laughs> All his money was in a bank, so I think, or wherever he kept it in a safe. In his mattress. I know he didn't want to pay. But when he started bread. to spend it at the end. He didn't uh, want to pay like, for his bread when he was at the restaurant. It'll cost a half pence. He goes, no bread. You know, <laughs> not going to buy that bread. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I mean, he must have been, I mean, he must have been wealthy. If he's not spending his money on anything. He's not spending it on food. He's a miser. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he was eating gruel. That, that was his favorite meal of the day. It was gruel. That's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he must have money in the house because when you had to buy the prize turkey, when the you know the little boy showed up and he throw them the you know the crown, the the the, the sixth guinea, um, you know, which is quite a lot of money back then. Um, you know, he had it on hand. <laughs> oh, no credit cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he must have kept money in the house. <laughs> sort of thing. But I mean, I, I imagine he would be he'd be the kind of person that would actually not use banks either. <laughs> the kind of person that Hello and Matches, he had his own yeah. bank, did he not? Well, you know, he he was a, a loan. Was he's a loan? Yeah. He was a loan shark, basically. I guess right. if you put it in modern terms, I guess he was like a loan shark. Uh, you know, like a loan company, which is yeah. not necessarily a bank or anything like that. But so. you did see in the sign it said shippers and. Whatever, when he bought those, co- I don't know, maybe he was buying those companies and dismantling them like a normal, you know, corporate raider would today. Yeah, I guess you could I guess you could say he's like one of those cash and loan places that they advertise on television. And, you know, we'll give you a loan for 60 days with a high interest. Give us the title to your car. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> so I think he's probably like, you know, the equivalent of that, I guess, in modern times sort of thing. But um you know, yeah, then again, you know, it does come with that classic turns. You can't take it with you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All stuff, my mother says. I did like, um, I did find it kind of weird that they decided to do a poke at the end of this. Do <laughs> <laughs> a polka. Let's do a polka, yeah. <laughs> you just expect the Andrew sisters to come out and go, roll out the barrel. That sort of thing. <laughs> But I have to say, there's a uplifting moment. But I have to say, I do like the English tradition that they do have here at Christmas. Is that uh, at Christmas dinner, everyone does dress for Christmas dinner still in a lot of oh, nice, so, which is quite quite interesting. Uh, so you don't go anywhere. You know, you fight with your family, have Christmas, and then you get dressed up in your best, have your Christmas dinner, and then basically all fall asleep in front of the television before you have like a weird argument. This is a Christmas <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty regular to me. Yeah, that's usually Thanksgiving, though. <laughs> I'm just well, you glad know why we everyone celebrate. falls asleep after a turkey dinner, don't you? Yes, because as you know, natural. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, what you call it? Urea or whatever they call it. Yeah. I guess um, we should give our final thoughts of the book and film. So starting with Jesse, what's your final thoughts of the book of Christmas Carol and the film that we just viewed? Hmm. My final thoughts. Uh, 
Well, obviously, I do think that the film really stuck true. And that's always what you want is for the message. And, you know, rather than be a carbon copy, you you want it to stay true to the original um, and the author's intent as well. I think that's the most important. And I think it did that very well the, as far as the book is concerned. And I was, you know, when I first read it, I was very moved by the story because it is, you know, you don't see a transformation like that in people. And I think to have that glimmer of hope that, you know, everyone has that opportunity to change is something that is uh, very moving and that we should... um you know, rather, you know, because not everyone is the Scrooge, but I think it, it is important for us to remember that everybody, people who are like Scrooge, I'm sure we, we know at least one person in our lives who is reminiscent of that. Uh, I think we need to remember that everyone can change and we should give people that opportunity to do so and always, you know, have that hope that it is possible for, you know, people to have redemptive qualities um, in the future and become better people. And what about yourself, Vix? What's your final thoughts? Oh, I think both book and the story, like I always say, it translates well into any generation or century at this point. I mean, it's a, it's a life experience. And I think that, you know, the book, it's always, it's a fantastic read. It's an easy read. It's a great read. Um, and it did go well with the film. I think that's probably the closest film, you know, to actually capture the essence of the book so it's always been one of my favorites i mean sometimes they do christmas in july you know on certain channels here in the states and i like watching it then even i think it's just one of those feel good kind of things and you know i think everybody should be required to read and watch it every year at least once a year (laughs) especially you what about yourself john Well, to follow up on what Jess said, uh, you know, uh, you know that you know one of those Scrooges, and uh, you'd like to see them in one night change. When you see them yeah. the next day, wow, completely turnaround. You know, that'd be nice mm-hmm. to see. But yeah, the, the 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 you know, it's something we watch it on Christmas Eve specifically every year. It's a tradition for us, and it's the Alistair Sim. Though I watch them all, Alistair Sim is my Christmas Eve movie. And uh, along with wonderful life, and uh, and it's just something I always look forward to. And like I said, you do know people like that, but uh, you know, uh, you hope that they change too someday. But yeah, it's 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 something to always be with you. And what about yourself, Mary? What are your final thoughts? The source material is wonderful to take a Christmas Carol, as many as you've said, there's many, many, many different productions of it. Many Episodic events. TV will turn a, a certain episode into a Christmas Carol. Uh, so it's those that capture the original source material, the wonderful message that it gives, casting an actor who really crafts the role from the character, mm-hmm. that makes it a success. And um, I love when I've loved a book and then see the movie that holds true. Fortunate, unfortunately, that isn't always the case, but here mm-hmm. it is the case. Uh, Refreshing. Alistair uh, Sims does a, a wonderful job, and the director did a marvelous job. And myself, um, I think A Christmas Carol is a classic. You can tell it's a classic, as you know, was mentioned 
by you all is, you know, basically there's been so many adaptions of this, which tells you what a great story this is. You know, even when Hallmark spins out one with Jacqueline Smith or Cheryl Ladd doing their version of it, you know, it's, well, not, you know, it's like, it's, it's been, it's well, I mean, it's been done every year, every year there's another Hallmark production of it, or there's, you know, or as you said, an episodic TV episode or so on and so forth. So it just tells you what a great story this is. And, you know, and as far as this film, the film versions go, this, you know, like John, this is a Christmas tradition for me. It's, you know, my Christmas movies, you know, as soon as December 1st hits, you know, it's a Christmas Carol with Galser Sims, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer I have mm-hmm. to watch. Yep, yep. So it's Night Before Christmas. It's a Wonderful Life. And I'll then, of course, we start with Miracle on 34th Street, the original. That one too, yes. On Thanksgiving yeah, night, though. That's when we start our Christmas seasons right right from there on. So. That definitely yeah, gets an me honorable too. mention. Yep. And I pull, you know, you know, I think, you know, last week I pulled all my Blu-ray Christmas movies out. And they're all sitting there, all the classic <laughs> ones sort of thing. And I've, I've also added to them, I think, one of, you know, I do watch, there's a couple Christmas horror ones I, have to, I throw in there as well, like a Christmas horror story, which I like a lot. And Anna the Apocalypse, I've now thrown that part. That's going to be one of my Christmas movies. <laughs> yeah, right that now. one's great. That's another must watch for Christmas, I have to admit. Well, <laughs> Con is Bad Santa, too. And Bad yeah. Santa too. Oh Lord! <laughs> I love Bad Santa. Yeah. Don't get me going. Yeah. <laughs> That's don't part forget of my the Grinch stole Christmas. The Grinch. And it's got to yeah. be the original oh, yeah. Warner Brothers Grinch, the Mel Blanc's Grinch with Boris yeah. Karloff. It has to be that exactly. one. Yep. So yeah, so Christmas Carol is a yearly tradition, and I hope that <clears> you know for generations to come, there becomes a yearly um, tradition for them. So that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. And next week, we'll be covering Bewitched. And we'll be t- covering the special Bewitched Christmas episode and the Flintstone Bewitched episode yeah. <laughs> called Samantha from 1965. And, of course, our two-for-one for our Matt Nature vs. Man will be Toxic Avenger, the musical, and Anna the Apocalypse, which is a Christmas zombie musical. We'll be covering that with our special... Um, episodes of that dark shadows we will be covering episodes 420 to 460 and we'll be also having our roger davis interview which will be appearing on christmas day it's a special christmas treat for you all out there our next classic novel it will be hunchback of notre dame with victor hugo and the film from 1942 i don't know it's the charles lawton one so i'll you know look he out makes for a that good one quasi moto he did he did Yes. So, and uh, and of course, Vicky and Jesse remember to start Vic um, Hunchback of Notre Dame because you only have twelve hundred pages to read. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I got it covered. <laughs> so it's good night for myself and good night, John. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Good night, Mary. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. Yes, definitely. Good night, Jesse. See you next week. Have a good night, everybody. I'll see you in February again, I think. Yeah, I'll see you in February for a time machine. Yep, wonderful. One of my favorites. And good night, Vicky. Good night, and God bless us, everyone. <laughs> and it's a Merry Christmas to all you out there, and we'll be with you next week for Bewitched, episodes 12 through 16. See you then. 
Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from the Literary License Podcast. Be kind to each other and love one another. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. All I need is a reindeer. So he took his dog, Max, and he took some black thread. And he tied a big horn on the top of his head. Then the Grinch said, Giddy up! And the sleigh started down to the homes where the coos lay a snooze in their town. This is stop number one, the old Grinchy claws hissed as he climbed to the roof, empty bags in his fist. Then he slid down the chimney, a rather tight pinch. But if Santa could do it, then so could the Grinch. Then he slithered and slunk with a smile most unpleasant around the whole room, and he took every present. Pop guns, pompanoos, pantookas and drums, checkerboards, thistle binks, popcorn and plums, and he stuffed them in bags. Then the Grinch very nimbly stuffed all the bags, one by one, up the chimney. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, nasty scum. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote: stink, stank, stunk. You nauseate me, Mr. Grinch. With a nauseous super nose You're a crooked jerky jockey And you drive a crooked horse Mr. Grinch You're a three-decker sauerkraut And toadstool sandwich With arsenic sauce